Chapter Seventeen of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter Seventeen, Oarsmen. I propose to supplement what I have written about brain by two short chapters on muscle. No one doubts that muscle is hereditary in horses and dogs. But humankind are so blind to facts and so governed by preconceptions that I have heard it frequently asserted that muscle is not hereditary in men. Oarsmen and wrestlers have maintained that their heroes spring up capriciously, so I have thought it advisable to make inquiries into the matter. The results I have obtained will beat down another place of refuge for those who insist that each man is an independent creation and not a mere function, physically, morally, and intellectually, of ancestral qualities and external influences. In respect to oarsmen, let me assure the reader that they are no insignificant fraction of the community, no mere waifs and strays from those who follow more civilised pursuits. A perfect passion for rowing pervades large classes. At Newcastle, when a great race takes place, all business is at a standstill, factories are closed, shops are shut, and offices deserted. The number of men who fall within the attraction of the career is very great, and there can be no doubt that a large proportion of those among them who are qualified to succeed brilliantly obey the attraction and pursue it. For information in this and the following chapters, I am entirely indebted to the kind inquiries made for me by Mr. Robert Spence Watson of Newcastle, whose local knowledge is very considerable and whose sympathies with athletic amusements are strong. Mr. Watson put himself into continual communication with one of the highest, I believe by far the highest, authority on boating matters. A person who had reported nearly every boating race to the newspapers for the last quarter of a century. The list in the appendix to this chapter includes the names of nearly all the rowing men of note who have figured upon the Tyne during the past six and twenty years. It also includes some of the rowers on the Thames, but the information about these is not so certain. The names are not picked and chosen, but the best men have been taken of whom any certain knowledge could be obtained. It is not easy to classify the rowers, especially as many of the men have rarely, if ever, pulled in skiff matches, but formed part of crews in pair-oared, four-oared, or six-oared matches. Their performances have, however, been carefully examined and criticised by Mr. Watson and his assessor, who have divided them into four classes. I have marked the names of the lowest with brackets, and have attached to them the phrase moderately good. These are men who have either disappointed expectations founded on early promise, or have not rowed often enough to show of what feats they are really capable. No complete failure is included. Fewer amateurs can cope with men of this class, notwithstanding the mediocrity of their abilities when judged by a professional standard. The next ascending grade is also distinguished by brackets, but no qualifying expression is added to their names. They consist of the steady, reliable men who form good racing crews. The two superior grades contain the men whose names are printed without brackets, whom, in short, I treat as being eminently gifted. In order to make a distinction between the two grades, I add to the list of the men who belong to the higher of them the phrase, very excellent oarsmen. It is not possible to do more than give a rough notion of the places into which these four grades would respectively fall in my table, page 34, of Natural Gifts. I have only two data to help me. The first is that I am informed that in the early part of 1868, 
the tiny amateur rowing club which is the most important institution of that kind in the north of england had been fifteen years in excellence and had comprised in all three hundred and seventy seven members that three of these as judged by amateur standards of comparison had been considered of surpassing excellence as skiff rowers and that the best of these three was looked upon as equal to or perhaps a trifle better than the least good of the brothers matfin who barely ranks as an excellent rower the other datum in the deliberate opinion of the authorities to whom i am indebted for the materials of this chapter that not one man in ten will succeed as a rower even of the lower of the two grades whose names are marked in my appendix by brackets and that not one in one hundred rowers attains to excellence hence the minimum qualification for excellence is possessed by only one man in one thousand there is a rough accordance between these two data a rowing club consists in part of naturally selected men they are not men all of whom have been taken at haphazard as regards their powers of rowing a large part are undoubtedly mere conscripts from the race of clubable men but there must always be a considerable number who would not have joined the club save for their conscientiousness of possessing gifts and tastes that specially qualified them for success on the water to be the best oarsman of three hundred and seventy seven men who are comprised in a crack rowing club means much more than to be the best of three hundred and seventy seven men taken at haphazard it would be much nearer the truth to say that in means being the best of all who might have joined the club had they been so inclined and had appeared desirable members upon these grounds see also my remarks on page twelve it is a very moderate estimate to conclude that the qualifications for excellence as an oarsman are only possessed by one man in one thousand the very excellent oarsmen imply i presume a much more rigorous selection but i really have no data whatever on which to found an estimate many men who found they could attain no higher rank than excellence would abandon the unprofitable pursuit of match rowing for more regular and as some would say creditable occupations we shall not be more than half a grade wrong if we consider the excellent oarsmen to rank in at least class f of natural gifts with respect to rowing ability and the very excellent to fall well within it i do not propose to take any pains in analysing these relationships for the data are inadequate rowing was comparatively little practised in previous generations so we cannot expect to meet with evidence of ancestral peculiarities among the oarsmen again the successful rowers are mostly single men and some of the best have no children it is important in respect to this to recollect the frequent trainings they have gone through mr watson mentions to me one well-known man who was trained for an enormous number of races and during the time of each training was more absentious and in an amazing health then after each trial was over he commonly gave way and without committing any great excess remained for weeks in a state of fuddle this is too often the history of these men there are in the appendix only three families each containing more than one excellent oarsman they are clasper matfin and taylor and the total relationships existing towards the ablest member of each family are eight upper b and one upper s there appears to be no intermarriage except in the one case that is mentioned between the families of the rowers indeed there is much jealousy between the rival families end of chapter seventeen